Welcome to the sermon ministry of River Community Church, a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana. Our purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org. Mark 5, 1-20 They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about two thousand, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but he said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. The word of the Lord. All right. Well, good morning again. So we continue into uh, another exciting story in the Gospel of Mark. We've been going through it week by week, and we've seen that Mark's interest for the reader is to grasp the full meaning of two very critical questions that every single one of us must wrestle with and come to terms with in our own lives. The first is, who is Jesus? And the second, what does it mean to follow him? We've seen those questions come up in how we interact with Jesus' teaching how we interact with Jesus' healing ministry, how we respond to Jesus' call. Last week, we saw that Jesus reveals himself in a storm, in a way that transcends any understanding that the disciples had of him beforehand. And they are left with the key question of Mark, who is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? And they were filled with great fear, not of the storm any longer, but of... Jesus, as they recognize that the power that is in Jesus is far greater than could be imagined. 
So we saw great fear at the end of the last story, but we also saw that that great fear brought the disciples closer to Jesus as they understood him better, and they continue with him. The fear of Jesus ended up delivering the disciples from the fear of the storm. And we saw last week how when we put Jesus at the very top, when we understand his, his power and his authority, that all of our earthly and worldly fears get sifted down and they become much smaller and much less terrifying. This week we are going to see that Jesus' power comes to invade and rescue people from enemy territory. In today's passage, we're again going to be confronted with the power of Jesus that is uncontainable. A power that absolutely accomplishes its purpose. In fact, as we go through this passage, we're going to see three demonstrations, three reactions to Jesus' uncontainable power. Uncontainable power. Do you need that kind of power in your life? Are you experiencing struggles? Are you experiencing illness? Are you experiencing things that are out of control? Are you experiencing desperation, despair? Are you feeling like you are being undone by the powers of the world? This passage offers great hope For you, because again, it shows us that the one that we have to put our trust in has uncontainable power. There is nothing in this world that can come against you, that can attack you, that can oppress you, that is mightier than the power that is in Christ. And so when it is all said and done, if our trust is in Christ and his uncontainable power, then we will find victory. And we will find it true on the last day that absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Because his power is uncontainable. Able to overcome all sorts of enemies. But as we think of Jesus' power, we also must recognize that power can be a threatening thing. The reality that Jesus possesses uncontainable power, again, puts him at the top of our org chart. And maybe that's a place we're uncomfortable having him. I'm thinking also of of a a famous uh, event, a famous passage in C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, Many of you are familiar with those stories. They are allegories of the Christian life. And there is a, uh, the the Christ figure is is, uh, the character Aslan, who is a lion. And there is a passage where Aslan is going to be introduced to one of the children in the story. And the child is scared because Aslan is a lion and lions are terrifying and powerful. And so she asks the very reasonable question, is Aslan safe? And the beaver, Mr. Beaver, responds to him and says, no, he is not safe, but he is good. He is the king. What we come to in this passage is a Jesus who is not safe. Not safe for your life. Not safe for your comfort. But a Jesus that is good. 
And the question that will come to many of us today is, are we following a Jesus who is unsafe but good? Because that is the Jesus that Mark has given us in this passage. Mark wants us to grasp that Jesus is not safe, but he is good. And as we go through this passage, we are going to find that a Jesus that is powerful enough to save us must also be a Jesus that is uncontainable and uncontrollable by us. Have you met this Jesus of uncontainable power? Today's passage is going to show us three demonstrations of that uncontainable power that comes with his kingdom. Let's start going through the passage piece by piece. The first demonstration of Christ's uncontainable power is this, that the hopeless are rescued. The hopeless are rescued. And we're going to focus on those first 13 verses of the demon-possessed man. Now, last week, this story picks up immediately, connects immediately to the passage of the storm. We recognize that the disciples were in Jewish country, and Jesus said, after a long day of teaching, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. So the disciples get in the boat, and they go to the other side. Now, what is the other side of the Sea of Galilee? The other side of the Sea of Galilee is a place that no good, God-honoring Jew would go. And the reason is, it was Gentile country. It was really rotten Gentile country. It was pig farming country. Now, if you're in the uh, Jewish Old Covenant legal system, you're used to the fact that pigs are on the unclean list. You don't go around pigs. Pigs are, are contaminated. Pigs are gross. And there's a major divide between Jew and Gentile because Jews do not eat pigs and Gentiles do. And it's one of the reasons that Gentiles are so uh, uh, despised in the Jewish mindset. But here we see Jesus saying, let us go to the other side. What is on the other side? It's not Jewish country. It's Gentile country. It's pig farming country. And Jesus takes the boat there. Before Jesus the people on the other side of that lake in pig farming country were written off. They were goners. They were not part of God's plan or kingdom. But Jesus takes the boat and lands on the shore where the Gentiles are. Now there is a a bit of a confusion in the text because Mark uses the words garrisons to describe this area. And as we do biblical archaeology and try to figure out all of these different places, scholars have a hard time finding a city called Gerasenes that matches the features of the account. It was close to the shore that had a steep bank. And so there has been some question about, well, maybe, uh, maybe Mark uh, was actually talking about an area called Gadara or maybe a place called Kersey. And maybe we just don't understand how that all falls together. And it's, a, it's kind of a question that hasn't really been resolved. But there is a solution or a, a, a suggestion that, uh, that was made to me um, that I think is kind of interesting. In the Hebrew, there is a term called garash. Garash is the word that is used for banishment. It is used for the banished ones. In the conquest with Joshua, the Canaanites are to be garroshed, 
to be banished, to be taken out of the land, to be cast out. So perhaps the word gerasenes is a transliteration moved into the Greek of that Hebrew idea of gerished, the gerashin ones. And if that's possible, then maybe it's not exactly a particular city or a particular town, but it is capturing the mentality, the reputation of the land that Jesus was going to. They are the banished, they are the outsiders, they are the cast off, they are the nobodies, they are the goners. We don't deal with them. That's perhaps what is going on, but what do we see here? Jesus is bringing the kingdom to the ones who have been banished, to the ones who are outside, to the Gentiles, to the filthy pig farmers. He has gone into their territory. That is such a remarkable thing that the Messiah is bringing his kingdom and his good news to the people that thought the good news and the kingdom excluded them. Next, we also see that Jesus comes to the hopeless. As soon as he gets on the shore, he is confronted by this man who is possessed by demons. This man, as you read this passage again and again and again, you you find yourself moving from the fascination of the demons to to the hopeless condition of the person. There's a person here. Underneath all of this demon possession, underneath all of this uh, powers of darkness, there's a human being here that is hopeless. Hopeless as it gets. He He is tormented. We're told that he spends night and day crying and cutting himself with stones. He is a, a man who has been made into an animal. His experience with other people is this. He hardly ever sees anybody, but when they do show up, they show up to put a chain on him. We see in this passage that he has had obviously many chains put on him because he continues to shatter them. So the only time someone comes is to visit him with a bigger chain. To bind him. Treat it like an animal. He's been banished. All he can do is live in the tombs. Because to the world he's as good as dead. He is the walking dead. All that he can find fellowship with are dead corpses. He lives in the tombs. That's what we see of this this human being. And we understand that that the principal reason for all that is because he has been oppressed. He He has been made the host of a demon, of an army of demons. So we don't only have a man who's been crying and cutting himself with stones, treated like an animal, and living amongst the tombs as a banished person, but we find in this person, because of the demon possession, that he is a man that is utterly incapacitated. You read this passage, and the man cannot even speak. The man cannot even control his body. His entire will has been hijacked by this army of demons. When Jesus speaks to this man, it is the demon speaking back. There isn't a man to speak back. He has been so oppressed. 
And we recognize that this demonic possession has no plans other than to completely torment and destroy this person's life. He is cutting himself with stones. He is living among the tombs. And we see when the demons are finally evicted into the pigs and the pigs rush into the sea, the destruction was the plan from the very beginning. This man's life has been incapacitated and overwhelmed and, and, and jeopardized by these demons that have possessed him. It is a sorry picture of a human being. But the good news... The awesome and beautiful news is that Jesus rescues the hopeless. He rescues that man. How does he rescue the hopeless? He rescues him by his grace, which is sovereign and extravagant. If we look at this story in its totality, Jesus will visit this side of the sea and leave, and the only thing that he actually does is deliver this man from the demons. We saw that he left the crowds of of Judea and crossed the sea, and all he did that for, all he went through the storm for, all he went through this, this entire encounter, this entire passage for, is ultimately to save this one person. This is the parable of the shepherd leaving the 99 healthy to go and rescue the one that has become lost. Jesus is showing himself as the good shepherd. Moreover, we see that this is a sovereign and extravagant act of mercy. Jesus is no gentleman in this passage. If he were a gentleman, he could do nothing. The man is utterly unable to come to Jesus, utterly unable to say anything or do anything to come to Jesus. He is dead in his demon possession. And that is why the only hope for him is God's sovereign mercy, God's sovereign grace which overcomes the inability and rescues him. What we see in this passage is what we find said beautifully by Paul in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, where after Paul describes all of us as living under the power of the spirit of the air, living in the paths of disobedience, living as a child of wrath, living completely estranged from God, we are told that God's extravagant mercy and grace comes to save. We are told in Ephesians 2, 4, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. From dead in trespasses to made alive, it is entirely the work of God's sovereign grace. And it is only because God works with sovereign grace that this man, who has no ability to come to Jesus, is able to be saved. It is extravagant and sovereign grace. 
But in addition to that, he receives good news because Jesus rescues the hopeless by his power, which expels the, an army of demons with only a word. We are given this encounter where Jesus asks the name of this demon. And he says, we are legion, for we are many. The word legion was a Roman word that described an army of, of up to 6,000 soldiers. Somehow this poor soul had become the host of an army of demons, a stronghold of Satan. I don't know why, but the man was filled, populated with a, 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 a multitude of wicked, evil spirits. And yet, even though we have a stronghold, even though we have a, a, a fortified base of Satan with 2,000 or more evil spirits, Jesus expels them all with the word go. And they have no choice but to leave. They depart into the, into the herd of pigs, they run down the hills, and they destroy themselves. Jesus reveals his decisive power to break the bonds of death and to give new life. What we have demonstrated by Jesus here is his uncontainable power. Surely 2,000 demons could hold him back a little bit. Surely 2,000 demons could make him break a sweat. Could put up a little bit of a fight. But Jesus shows that he is uncontainable power. He speaks to the demons who become his servants and they must leave. Because his word contains uncontainable power. That is the good news, that Jesus rescues the hopeless. He rescues the hopeless. Whatever you are facing, however despaired you may be of your situation, no matter how futile or, or, or fleeting your life may seem to be, the Jesus that delivers the demoniac from an army of demons is the same Jesus that comes to you, who offers his same sovereign grace to you, who gives his power to you. That is the good news. His grace and his power are sufficient to deliver you from every possible snare, every possible demonic, evil, controlling darkness that you could ever come across in this world. But here's the really beautiful thing. When you step back, and you look at the whole gospel of Mark. And you recognize that Jesus rescues the hopeless. We have to recognize that it's not actually just the word that Jesus uses. Or I should say, when Jesus rescues the hopeless, he does more than just give a word. He gives himself. Because when you step back. And you look at the full story to recognize what Jesus has done to make himself a ransom for many. To redeem you from the pit. From living amongst the torment of the demons. Is that he made himself hopeless and helpless to deliver you.
You see, Jesus can deliver you from the demons, but to, to propitiate your life before a holy God requires that he must give his life to pay for your sins. For your death and trespasses, for all of the, the, the bondage and the sin that you have committed, for your sinful soul to be rescued, Jesus had to make himself helpless and hopeless. What did they say to Jesus when he was on the cross? He who saved others cannot save himself. You see, Jesus saves the helpless and the hopeless, those who are lost in sins. Because he did not save himself. He laid himself down. He endured the suffering and the death and the ignominy of the cross. So that all who put their hope and put their trust in him never face a hopeless future. Are never again helpless. Because they are entirely saved and ransomed in Christ. This story tells us that there is no one outside the gospel offer. There is no one that is too lost. There is no one outside of Jesus' power to save. His grace and his power that will lay down his life to purchase you from the pit is the the promise that you have that nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. He has purchased you. He has redeemed you. He has rescued you from all hopelessness and helplessness. Now that doesn't mean that you still don't have crises and moments of doubt and struggles in this life. But what it means is that the one who has his hand on you, who has his, 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 his fingers wrapped around you, cannot be pried off. You may feel lost. You may feel the storm, and the storm may seem awful. But it's not how well you hold on to Christ. It's that Christ holds on to you and nothing can make him let you go because he is full of uncontainable power. The question then is this, have you trusted in Jesus? Have you come to the one who has the uncontainable power to forgive and wash away your sins and fill you with new life? So that you do not need to be racked by sin or a servant of sin any longer. But that you can experience the newness of life, the resurrection power in your own life. Have you trusted in Jesus? So the hopeless are rescued. But we also, as we go through this story, as we move down to to the fallout from this major demonstration of power, we recognize that when Christ's kingdom comes, the comfortable are threatened. The comfortable are threatened. The hopeless are rescued. But we also must find out that the comfortable are threatened. Verses 14 through 17 reveal that the, the... The pig farmers go and and start sharing the story of what happened. And the townspeople come from all over to see what has happened based on this report. And they saw the one who was demon-possessed sitting in his right mind and clothed next to Jesus. And Mark tells us they were afraid. They were filled with fear. 
the same word that we have for phobia. They were afraid. Why are they afraid? What is scary about this scene? What makes them scared? The demons are gone. The man is in his right mind. Isn't this a great day? Their response is fear. Why are they afraid? I'll tell you why. They solved the demoniac. They solved the man with a legion. They figured out a way to live with that. It took everything they had. It took the biggest chains they could find. (laughs) But they solved the demoniac. But Jesus destroyed the demons. And how much greater is the power that is in Jesus than the power that they were barely able to manage? And if they cannot, if Jesus is able to do that to the demoniac, then he possesses a power that they cannot manage and they cannot control. So they are threatened by this power. You see, what is happening, the kingdom of God is coming And it is invading the kingdom of Satan, and it is throwing out demons. But the other thing that the kingdom of God comes and invades is the kingdom of self. The kingdom of self is under attack when the kingdom of God comes. And I think we see here in the townspeople that the kingdom of self is terrified is threatened. The people are afraid of Jesus because they have committed themselves to another hope, to another purpose. They have committed themselves to comfortable. They have committed themselves to being comfortable. And they recognize that Jesus is a disturber of what is comfortable. Jesus is a disturber of what they can manage. And they are very threatened by that. I want you to see in this passage three very frightening things that attend the idol of comfortable. I want us to see the lostness of living for comfortable. First, The idol of comfortable desensitizes us to suffering. The idol of comfortable desensitizes us to suffering. Look look back at verse 5. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. This is happening night and day up in the hills. These townspeople have become used to the screaming. They have become used to the sounds at night of this man wailing and lamenting. They have had that in their, in the background noise, carrying through the, 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 the pasture. They have given him the tombs because that's the area to avoid. 
They have put him out of sight. They have made it the place that you don't go. They avoid that area. Their solution again and again has been a bigger chain. They have been desensitized to the suffering. They don't hear the screams of that human being any more than they say, does that mean we need a bigger chain? It looks like he's loose again. They live with the sound of screams in the night from the hills. They live with the don't go to that area. They live with the solution of more chains. Their comfort is comfortable with that. Their comfort is comfortable with that. There is a man naked and desperate, screaming, and they're comfortable as long as it keeps things going the way that they want it to go. Not saying they like it, not saying that they endorse it. They didn't put the demons in the man. They don't have a a, a solution for it, but when the demons are taken out, they're afraid. They had found a comfortable in that situation. A comfortable that had desensitized them to suffering. Second, the idol of comfortable depraves our values. The idol of comfortable depraves our values. Look at at verse 16. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and to the pigs. What had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. Both of those parts of the story are weighing upon the audience that is, that is coming to understand this. The demon-possessed man and the pigs. Those represent the values of this community. They are as concerned about what happened to the pigs as the fact that a demon-possessed man has been rescued. Now, this is not dismissing that the demon-possessed pigs, or I'm sorry, that the, the pigs were a large investment. Uh, pigs probably aren't cheap there. So the pigs were a, a, a financial loss. But here is, here is the thing. The story picks up on pigs for a reason. It, that, it, that it's pigs was a, a particular creature that we've talked about is considered unclean. There was no value to a Jewish person in pigs. Okay? They are considered a depraved creature. Whether that's fair or not, that's their mentality. That's how the original reader probably would have read it. If it would help you, take the word pigs out and use the word nutria. 2,000 nutria were killed. How many of you would be grief-stricken with 2,000 nutria? I hear they're delicious. Nobody, uh, nobody's ever served me any, but I hear they're delicious. But here's the thing. The people are weighing this man 
being back in his right mind, being at peace finally from his screams and his torment against the loss of the pigs. And for them, it's a hard call. The man is evaluated by how many pigs it cost to have him sane. That's a depraved value system. The man made in the image of God, made with dignity, meant for community, meant for life with friends. But it cost a lot of pigs. How many pigs am I willing to give to rescue that man? Somewhere up to 2,000, it became too many. In the Bible, there is no exchange rate between things and animals and people. People are always treated with infinite worth. And the gospel shows people are of infinite worth because Christ gave his own blood to purchase us because there was no commodity less than the precious blood of Christ that could ransom an infinitely valuable soul. But this culture of comfortable has found a way to evaluate people according to things. You see, comfort feeds greed, not generosity. You always want a little bit more to be comfortable. There's always a better interior to the car that feels better. So more and more of our money goes over to making ourselves comfortable when we recognize, if we watch the news at night, that there's a lot of things, a lot of suffering people, a lot of causes. And this is a difficult thing to get into. But comfort feeds greed, not generosity. It is like the story of the rich young ruler who asked, what must I do to, to receive eternal life? And Jesus says to him at the end, this one thing, sell all that you own and follow me. Too high. Too high. And the man walked away because he had many possessions. It desensitizes us to suffering. It depraves our values. Finally, it deceives us of our need. Verse 17 is one of the saddest verses in this passage. They began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. They looked at the man and they looked at the pigs and they begged Jesus to depart from the region. It deceives us of our need. Here we have exactly what was told to us in the parable of the soils. These people have allowed the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. They can't have Jesus. He doesn't fit. Their desire for comfort has choked out the welcome of Jesus. And Jesus leaves. You see, a different chain binds these people. It is a chain that chokes them. It is the deceitfulness of riches. It is the comfort of their life that is containable and controllable without Jesus. 
The rich young ruler walks away, and what does Jesus say to the rich young ruler who has been deceived by his riches? It is this, it is impossible for that man to save himself. Let's, let's read the verse. Mark 10, 24 will tell us this. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. You see, the comfortable, the townspeople are just as lost as the demoniac, but they don't see the chain. They love the chain. The chain gives them safety and security, and they see Jesus taking away the chain, and they say, we want our chain. Keeps us safe and secure. We don't want Jesus. And they send him away. Because they do not want that kind of power taking control of what they want to control. Their own kingdom. And so we should be very careful thinking that being comfortable is the pinnacle of what life is about. Because it desensitizes us to suffering. It depraves our values. And it deceives us of our need. Again, C.S. Lewis said, is Aslan safe? He is not safe, but he is good. Jesus is not safe, but he redeems us by his precious blood. How can we not trust him and all of his power to take us towards what is good and worthwhile? How can we clutch on to our things and our comforts When the one who has all power laid down his life for you to make you whole. What a stupid choice. As Jim Elliott famously said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. But the hardest thing for the comfortable to do is to surrender to Jesus, to allow his power to reign and be over All of our kingdom. But if we don't do that, then our heart, at least part of our heart, and maybe the most important part of our heart, is saying, Jesus, get off my beach. And that is not a good place to be. Third, the redeemed go and tell. There is a whole other outcome. There's a whole other story. The redeemed go and tell. The the man that had the demon who is now in his right mind is so filled with joy, he wants to spend his whole life with Jesus, which is a beautiful picture of what it means to truly be saved. How beautiful is the gospel? By Jesus' mercy and power, the man is taken from living among the tombs to being sent back home to be with his friends. You see, the gospel doesn't take stuff away from you. It makes you whole. What it takes away from you are poisons and cancers. What it comes to give you is the wholeness of life with God that we find in the garden that has been destroyed by sin. And that home is described as back with your friends, back in community, from the dead to life. 
The rescued man becomes a disciple. We see again here, he wants presence, he wants to be with Jesus, and he wants partnership. That is what a disciple does. So Jesus sends the man home to his friends and says, tell your friends how much the Lord has done for you. You see, the gospel changes the people it saves. The gospel bears fruit in this man's life. Could you imagine this man saying, oh, wait, 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 wait. You mean I'm supposed to be excited about this and go tell people about this and make my life centered on the fact that I've been rescued from demons? That's that's what that means to be saved? That's what it looks like? No, that doesn't even cross his mind. When you're saved from the demons, your life is completely transformed and completely sold out to the one that saves you. Anything less is a big question mark. Do you understand how much the Lord has done for you? The good news is news that you share. It is uncontainable in you. Everyone marveled from the man's testimony. As Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So what is the difference between the demoniac and the townspeople? The demoniac rejoiced in Jesus' power because it was the power that saved him. And again, that power is here for you. Anything that is, that is holding you down, that is, that is crushing you, that is causing you to despair, to question the value of your life, Jesus sends his gospel into that God-forsaken place and says, I will save you. Trust in me. He will pierce the darkness and he will not let go of you despite whatever may come. But the townspeople feared Jesus. They feared his power because they saw it as a threat to their way of life. The one lived in the joy of his salvation and became a world changer through his witness. The others, their story continues with their normal lives that are comfortable, safe, and undisturbed. But at what cost? They lost knowing Jesus and experiencing his power. They lost a life of eternal purpose and consequence. And if this is the end of their experience with Jesus, they lost their souls. What are you choosing? The life of comfort or the life of Jesus? Jesus offers all of us his life. He comes to you today with the same gospel. Repent and believe the good news. Are you ready to turn from the kingdom of self and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? He who has the power to save the demoniac has the power to save all who call upon his name. Have you called it? Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon from River Community Church. We are a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana, whose purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. 
We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org.